The Voice of the Cape, 91.3 FM Stereo. Born to serve. My eyes see injustice, my hands work for change. My tongue sings the sorrow of my heart. The love of Allah combined with hope. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Hati ahlan wa sahlan wa marhaban mikum. Welcome back respected listeners. It's a beautiful evening of this fifth of the 10th month 2019 wherever you are i hope that you're well i hope that you're safe and we consistently and continuously remember all those that are in difficulty in different parts of the world you know duas uh, more frequent than not this is born to serve my name is muhammad Sheikh, bringing to you featuring leaders in our community that have made a difference are making a difference and whose legacy will continue making a difference for many a generation to come and uh, yes indeed this also forms the culmination of of the final episode on the series of the late Imam Abdullah Harun, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant him the loftiest of paradise and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant him uh, his legacy to flourish and nourish the inspiration of many, many a youth to come, inshallah, for that. But be that as it may, the Imam Harun Foundation in partnership with the Cape Cultural Collective is hosting a cultural tribute to the Imam Abdullah Harun at the Artscape Theatre in October, the Imam and Us, directed by the acclaimed um, Basil Apollos, takes place on the 11th and 12th October 2019 at 8 p.m. Tickets are available from CompuTicket at 175 rands. The program will reflect on his life and legacy, both personal and political, through multimedia, narration, poetry, music and dance. And uh, for our listeners this evening that are tuned in, we have two sets of double tickets. That's right two sets of double tickets to give away on the show this evening that means just two winners each winner gets two tickets sms only 47913 so yes we have two sets of double tickets to give away and uh, the question that i'm asking remember first come first serve the question that i'm asking what is the name of the tribute show what is the name of the tribute show? 47913, keep those SMS rolling. And uh, the first correct answers that come through, inshallah, Buddha Rashad is with me on standby this uh, evening. And he will take down your full details as well as uh, your IDs as well. But uh, nonetheless, uh, do let us know of your answers. What The question that I'm posing is, what is the name of of the tribute show and the first two correct answers that come through on 47913 will each win a set of double tickets meaning for two persons to this particular show that is taking place on the 11th and 12th of October 2019. Uh, continuing, yes, our four-part series on Imam Harun's life. If you've been following the series, you'll know that it's been fascinating being able to learn more about Imam Abdullah Harun his well-rounded life. Sadly, last week, Imam Abdullah Harun's wife, Auntie Halima, passed away at the age of 93 years after she had taken ill for some time. And what better way to begin the show than pay tribute to her life and her indomitable spirit. And uh, this is a woman 
that had to endure so much during her husband's detention and torture, who carried her family through immense pain and suffering. Auntie Halima actually passed away 50 years to the day that Imam Harun was buried. On Sunday, hundreds of people attended her janazah, and she was laid to rest next to the Imam at the Mowbray Cemetery, which was declared a heritage site. As you might know, we initiated this on-air series to understand more about Imam Harun's legacy as part of the 50th year commemoration of his passing away. The Imam Harun Foundation launched a 123-day campaign to signify the period of martyrdom during which Imam Harun was imprisoned. And for that, we are joined on... Okay, we still we will be joined, inshallah, in a few by Mr. Qasim Khan and... Um, uh, we will be uh, joined, inshallah. Okay, you are on air. That's correct. Sorry, just a bit of confusion there with Buddha Rashad. I'm not sure if Buddha Rashad is still reeling off some Turkish delights there in the background, Buddha Rashad. But nonetheless, Buddha Qasim Khan is with us this evening. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Wa alaikum salam and shukran for having me. It's a pleasure. Well, uh, alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. Well, uh, Butrashad is indicating one ticket to one ticket is gone, but the answer isn't correct, Butrashad. The answer isn't correct. So we uh, we are still keeping them, still posing that question. What is the name of the tribute show? Not the tribute show is <laughs> is the name. What is the name of the tribute show, Butrashad? Well, inshallah, uh, Butrashad. Uh, let's 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 keep those SMSs rolling, and uh, we'll we'll take in the SMSs coming through on four seven nine one three. The first two correct answers shall each win a set of double tickets. Uh, Mr. Kasim Khan, yes, indeed, a very very sad, you know, uh, moment in our chapter as we reeling through the legacy of Imam Abdullah Harun losing such a stalwart in his life, and that is Auntie Halima. Yes, certainly. Uh, um, you know, uh, one of the most interesting developments of the day of the 29th uh, of September, the Sunday that has passed, mm-hmm. was, as you can imagine, the children of Imam Harun, uh, Shamila, Fatima, and Dr. Muhammad Harun, uh, one of the things that they uh, had always missed in their life was that, as all of us would, that when the part when we when appear um, that 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 we are not there with them in that last moment, mm-hmm. and so for fifty years they did not know what it meant for their father to be uh, have passed away alone in a prison cell in American police station, and this fiftieth uh, year to the day uh, uh, on the twenty ninth of September. The three of them uh, was with their mother uh, literally half an hour before the Salat al-Fajr. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, the three of them, nobody else in the room but their mother as she passed on. And for them, that was a very profound moment um, that she breathed her last and they were in her company. Mm-hmm. Now this becomes a bit more profound for them, particularly because uh, the elder sister Shamila is based in London and Professor Muhammad Arun uh, works from Botswana. And so for the three of them to have been there uh, with her, and especially after such a long set of activities that had taken us much of the years, much longer than the 123 days, mm-hmm. they were all intimately involved and integrally involved in the day-to-day operations of making sure that this 50th commemoration takes place. And so for them, it was a really sad but profound moment, and one in which they were also 
uh, in deep gratitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he made it possible for the three of them to be with their mother at that moment. So let us maybe just start the efforts and just understand what it meant for the three of them. Mm-hmm. The second point, of course, is, is that of course it is a sad moment because she was a pillar of strength for the three of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the, the fact that when Imam had passed on, Shamila was already based in London, um, and Auntie Halima had lost her home. Um, and this is something that we must deeply reflect on, that sometimes we, we are celebrating our leaders mm-hmm. while they are alive. But the moment the leader is gone, the community also uh, just says, no, mashallah, it was a nice sheikh, a nice imam, nice this, nice that, but they forget the family. Mm. Um, and in many ways, this is what had actually happened uh, to Auntie Halima, but her loss was massive because it was not due to illness that imam had passed on. It wasn't a car accident. It was a deliberate murder that had taken place, and the murder took place at the hands of the authorities. Mm-hmm. Um, they were responsible. And the community was clearly cowed, and they were clearly afraid, and where people could step forward. Mm-hmm. Circumstances just did not work out um, to make it possible for her to keep her family together, to keep Muhammad with her. She had to move into her mother's house just with the young Fatima, and Muhammad was left to stay with some relatives. Um, so this is a, a, a deep wound, but Andi Khalima persisted. She, at that late age, at that time, at 43, uh, learned to drive a car. She used to work as a dressmaker at home. She went out to work uh, outside of her home. She then managed with whatever money she could save to build her, her, a house for her children, for Muhammad and for Fatima. Um, and then that home became a very important space for whoever then came to want to find out about the story of Ashaid Imam Abdullah Harun. It was a space where people could come to, could get information, could hear from her firsthand. Um, her two important actions in those early days was that she did pursue the matter in court um, and require and requested that there be an inquest into his life mm-hmm. and into his death. Uh, um, and this was not an easy task. Remember, this was you are inquiring from the oppressive apartheid regime. What did you do to my husband? Mm-hmm. And the, the immense uh, courage it needed to go up against the apartheid state to ask from no less a criminal like B.J. Foster, what did you do? Mm-hmm. You know, it's not something small. Absolutely. Sometimes people think that <clears throat> maybe she was just she just went quietly and she just continued her dressmaking work and so forth. And so this was uh, not a, a quiet act. An action of her. Mm-hmm. The second important thing was when Reverend Bernie Rankmore mm-hmm. uh, decided that he is going to put further pressure on the state right. and he's going to demand what had happened to Imam Harun. Mm-hmm. And the Khalima didn't sit at home and let Bernie Rankmore pass alone at the shrine at Signal Hill. She actually went up there to the shrine and she expressed her support for his action. Again, it is not a small act that she had taken uh, uh, up and to go forward and do these things. Now, sometimes we may think that that was a, a car drive up the mountain. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but to go there um, in such difficult circumstances, under such difficult um, pressure. Now, Bernie Rankmo was a white man. It was easy for him to go and be wherever he wanted to be. Mm-hmm. But 
for her to go and join a protest site. Mm-hmm. And to be there is not a small thing. And Absolutely. we must not make these actions a small thing. So she then kept that flame, that house, that candle alive. She made it possible for her children as well as her grandchildren to continue uh, that legacy, provide a space and the information that was required, uh, but quietly. Mm-hmm. No, no mass meetings that she would go and address or anything like that. She did her part. And uh, to quote her own words, you know, when her grandson asked her in the documentary, made, so, Omar, how did you manage mm-hmm. all of this? And this is the most powerful word for us to always remember. She said, Tawakkal Allah. Tawakkal Allah. Without Tawakkal, she said, I would not have anything. Hmm. Now, this is this is the lesson. If we want to take a lesson from the life of Ante Khalima, she said for 50 years she knew what Tawakkal meant. You understand? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. She did not blame, blame anybody, didn't make demands, whatever. What was important for her was she put her trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Absolutely. I think that's one of the best legacies that could come from uh, the late Auntie Halima. Be that as it may. Live from Cape Town, this is the Voice of the Cape, 91.3 FM. Born to serve. My eyes see injustice, my hands work for change, my tongue sings the sorrow of my heart. The love of Allah combined with hope. Let's hold hands as we make a start. Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah. Welcome back, respected listeners. 91.3 FM it is, and yes, indeed, uh, we have got. Uh, Two correct answers that is coming from 9869 and one call in as well coming from uh, 5888 uh, from Atlant Line, yes. And the question that was posed was, what is the name of the tribute show? The answer to that question is the Imam and us. So the two two correct answers coming through. Congratulations to 9869 as well as uh, 5888. Uh, those two listeners or callers in have, uh, uh, you know, brought the correct answer through. So congratulations once again, inshallah. But Rashad has kept your details. We will hold on to them, inshallah. And... Um, we will give you all the give you all a call when the tickets do arrive to be collected from our studios. So that's uh, two sets of double tickets, meaning two lucky winners this evening have won two tickets each to go to the Imam and us. A show taking place on the 11th and 12th of October 2019, inshallah, at 8 p.m. You can get tickets from CompuTicket at 175 rands. Um, and uh, yes, something not to be missed. But be that as it may, still paying tribute uh, in our closing, in our closing uh, program this evening um, to, you know, Imam, the um, Imam Abdullah Harun legacy. And uh, we're still talking a little bit about the uh, the wife of the late Imam Abdullah Harun, Auntie Halima. Um, Buta Kasim Khan is with us, who is the chairperson of the Imam Abdullah Harun Foundation. Buta Kasim, do you think it's an indictment that Auntie Halima passed on, never knew, never knowing the full truth of uh, her husband's murder? Absolutely. And I think what is more important for us to remember in this the 50th year, uh, we, we speak about the uh, initiative of commemorating Imam um, in this 50th year as being an initiative 
of uh, her children and her grandchildren. Um, but one of the things we have not said enough mm-hmm. is that Auntie Halima was the one who gave it its drive, its uh, motivation. And one of the things that we were clear about that the 50th year commemoration was not only going to be about informing the public, educating them about how Imam operated, who he was, how many people he touched. But we were also going to talk about the um, the inquest into his death and that we want a re-inquest because we saw that the inquest that was held then under the apartheid system was something that was unjust and did not look at the, all the information um, and was clearly not the truth. And so it is an indictment that she did not get a formal, final answer uh, from a just judge, let's put it like that, that what had actually happened. And why I say her role was critical in the commemoration is that the commemoration drew its strength and its uh, uh, um, motivation from her words that she said she wanted the 50th year to coincide with the reopening of the inquest. Um, and she had made it quite clear to one of our uh, judges in, in South Africa and said, I want you to help us in getting this matter out there. You know? mm-hmm. And so she was again a very, uh, um, uh, uh, what is referred to as the quiet heroism. Mm-hmm. Um, so didn't say much, she just said, I want this. You know, because in previous years, she was asked, you know, do you want to look at these things? Uh, um, the people from the Truth and Reconciliation Commission came to her, whatever. And, you know, she was, oh, no, I don't think I'll get the truth. Mm-hmm. But this year, this 50th year, she was the one who said, I want this, you know. And now you can't just organize commemorative events without wanting to cut to the, the main issue, which is that we as the public need to have it clear for the record legally um, and pronounced by a judge what had actually happened by looking at the uh, uh, information that is at hand. And, and really we drew that strength from her. And so we used to go to the house, I used to get her, greet her, visit her, but knowing all the time mm-hmm. that this is what, what she wants. You know, the other events were important, but she, we, we, we drew that strength from her and we will continue to draw, to, to draw that strength from her and making sure um, that the truth is uh, told and that the truth will be made, inshallah. Inshallah. What were some of the fondest memories that she would reminisce about in terms of remembering the Imam? But maybe perhaps in you know in the days that uh, she was uh, coming through with the illness, and perhaps maybe of recent. Well, it, it would be a bit, uh, honestly, it would be a bit unfair mm-hmm. for me to speak um, in, in that detail. And inshallah, if there is an opportunity, we could always ask the, the Fatima, uh, her daughter, to speak on that. Even if I do, it would be secondary information. Sure, um, so, absolutely. So, so please forgive me if I don't step into that space because mm-hmm. I am, I'm, I'm mindful about my space and my 
relationship with my information. And that's mm. why please forgive me for that. No, so. absolutely. I mean, I can I can understand in this space, but it, it brings about such a, such a jelling that you share with the family. Um, you know, knowing the family members uh, locally abroad and the, the mm-hmm. type of uh, interaction, and you know, particularly being in the space of uh, being the chairperson of the Imam Abdullah Harun Foundation. Mm-hmm. Uh, be that as it may, let's let's uh, shift focus a little bit now on you know the Imam himself and where we picked up from the, the, the last session that we we talked about his legacy, and uh, let's let's focus now at uh, one of the very hard, cold uh, truths that existed um, in the history of of Muslim torture as they fought for independence of identity in the Western Cape. And there was the detention of Imam Abdullah Harun about the 123 days that he spent in custody. Yeah. So, important thing to remember uh, um, is that Imam was held under the Section 6 of the Internal Security Act, which is also known as the Terrorism Act. And what this meant was that the state could come and arrest you keep you for 180 days, meaning they could keep you literally for six months without having to inform your family where you are, without having you having access to any lawyer, um, without your family uh, having any contact with you. Mm-hmm. So what would happen <laughs> is that they would have uh, some policeman assigned, probably a security policeman, that should you want to know something uh, critical or pass on an information, you will only speak to that person. Sure. Um, and so this, this is as harsh as what it was. That's the first thing to know. Mm-hmm. So when they announced uh, to Auntie Halima that in that night of the 28th of May, we are not bringing your husband home. They arrested him in the morning. They came to tell her, listen, he's now being held under that. So the questions that is prevailing around that matter is what happened during the day. Mm -hmm. So here is where our respect and our understanding of the strength of Imam comes forward. If there was anything that they could compromise him on, say to him, you look, you know what, we got you. We got all the information against you. That's the time you'd have been scared. And then you, they would have told him, listen, now from now on, would you work for us and you can go home tonight? Mm-hmm. And they kept him. And they kept him for that 123 days, meaning that they could not get any information out of him. He did not sell anybody out. He clearly was well aware of what was going down. And now why do we say that? One of the, almost we could also say, almost say miracles of this 123 days is that he found uh, um, there was a agreement that because he was Muslim, he'd be fasting most of the time, mm-hmm. and the Halima would send uh, uh, food to Caledon Square. So right. That's where they suspected he was out. And then uh, um, she'd give him some biscuits and things like that. Um, and then he found a way to smuggle out of that top flask. Uh, there was a cover in there. He smuggled out notes he wrote on these biscuit boxes, of which the originals now exist uh, in one of our uh, museums. MashaAllah. And in there, there was about six of them, and Mm -hmm. in there, he wrote what they were looking for, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think this this is, this brings us as close to what went, uh, what actually went down. Um, Of course, the inquest uh, uh, that followed uh, did review and the autopsy did review uh, some 26 bruises and 
broken ribs and all of sure. these things. But what was clear is that in that 123 days that they kept, they could not, one, compromise you. Mm-hmm. They could not threaten him by saying to him, listen, we need to expose you for X, Y, and Z. He was a very, very decent, pious person. He did not love money. He did not do, have any illicit affairs. He did not, was not uh, involved with anything that was haram mm-hmm. that they could hold against him, that he would be shy that anybody else would know. Right. And clearly he was an abd that knew that he was with Allah, he was on the path that Allah wanted him to be. Mm-hmm. And so they could not break him. Um, and so this is the, 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 the strength that we get from him in knowing that what type of good and pious life does for you when you put into such difficulties. Subhanallah, amazing. From what? the letters. Mm-hmm. From the letters, and this is what I want to get. Sure. There's broadly uh, uh, four broad areas that he talks about. The one is, he says to Andi Halima, listen, X, Y, and Z, you need to settle these accounts. Mm-hmm. Um, two, you, you, there's other people who owe my, me money, and you can take from the money that they owe me, and you pay, you settle whatever debts there is. Uh, even in his very last, he doesn't say, you know, please forgive me. You know? mm-hmm. um, and then the third thing he speaks about is uh, one of the areas that the state was particularly interested in was a flow of money which came from outside of the country to him through which he supported families of political prisoners who were detained under the apartheid government. Which is clear, which is absolutely true. Um, but they wanted to know, so how did the money flow? How did it come in? How do you choose who to give things, uh, money to whoever? You know? mm-hmm. And then the last thing, of course, that they were interested in, and he stated very clearly, is that they say he was involved in establishing military cells for the Pan-Africanist Congress. And again, they could not break him. They could not make him uh, confess to anybody. And so this is why we understand that this is why the beatings took place. This is why the torture took place. And he succumbed to all of these injuries by the 123rd day, which was on the 27th of September. And so this is the harsh, harsh reality of what they had actually done. But one of the things we are uh, particularly strength from is that we know that what gave him the strength was his commitment to fasting. Mm-hmm. And he fasted from the age of 16 every Monday and every Thursday. Uh, um, and so fasting was with him. And as, as part of keeping up that particular sunnah of Rasulullah. And this was particularly something that they found when they did the autopsy, his stomach was empty. And so we suspect that even in the last days he was probably fasting every day. You know, mm-hmm. uh, um, and only if somebody has got that amount of strength within him, could he withstand all of these um, round-the-clock torture. Because that's one of the things that comes out in the inquest document. Uh, these uh, apartheid criminals would say, we used to come to work at 8 o'clock. And then we would interrogate Imam from 8 o'clock till 4 o'clock until the next set came in. And they would then interrogate him through the night as the night shift comes in. And this continuous interrogation took place up until the 19th of August, uh, uh, all at Caledon Square. Then mm-hmm. they, they moved him to Maitland Police Station, but they would bring him in in the morning for interrogation and then take him back to the cells in the evening. 
it was not a, a walk in the park. It wasn't a thing of they interrogate him on Monday and come back next week Monday. It was continuous and it was brutal. And uh, this is one of the things that we say this is undoubtedly one of our heroes is he stood alone mm-hmm. in those spaces and he became the victor at the end of the day. That is why we remember him 50 years later. Mm-hmm. Subhanallah, amazing. Listen to the stem of the cap of 91.3 and 95.8 FM stereo. Born to serve. My eyes see injustice, my hands work for change, my tongue sings the sorrow of my heart. The love of Allah combined with hope. Let's hold hands. 42 after 7 as we maintain the grueling effects of the late Imam Abdullah Harun as he was imprisoned uh, for over 123 days, interrogated, tortured and uh, still maintained this Islamic identity that we all, you know, wish and aspire toward despite adversity and calamity. Uh, Buta Qasim Khan is with us online and uh, he's talking through us this journey of the late Imam Abdullah Harun. Buta Qasim, what were some of the torture methods used uh, whilst Imam Abdullah Harun was imprisoned? One of the things that is quite clear is that the uh, um, uh, bruises on the body um, clearly shows that there were several beatings that took place. Now, one of the things that is going to uh, be shocking news to people is that whatever the security police had lied and denied about uh, back in the day, uh, um, in the early first inquest, in many ways will see a different view and a different version of it. Um, and we, we as a um, foundation and a family, one of the things that we have done is we have got new, um, a new set of eyes with modern technology on the um, uh, inquest document that had been there and the pathology report of them to be able to say that this the information will reveal new information as to how Imam's body could have been in that particular state. Because the the, uh, autopsy did provide some information. Now, based on that information, the um, uh, pathologist in the 21st century now look at the re-look at that information and say that if they say, well, you know, maybe he fell, or maybe he bumped his head, or slipped, somewhere along the way that the wounds that the autopsy revealed is inconsistent with what their story was. So clearly their story was that they were very nice guys and that Imam cooperated with them. I mean, if he cooperated with them, why did you have to to, uh, keep him for that long a period? Mm -hmm. Um, And so uh, we we want this, the re-inquest, this type of information will come to the fore. The second thing that I wanted to also mention is that they kept on with the same information that his injuries were directly related to a fall down the stairs um, at Caledon Square. So well, sometimes the information is that maybe he fell down some stairs at Maitland Police Station, which is a one-story space, and that the highest level of stairs is four steps. Um, and so now we, with modern uh, uh, 
eyes and modern technology. We've got a trajectory specialist that uh, will present a report in front of a judge and will show that if a person of that weight, of that height, should fall down a set of stairs, what is the possibilities that could happen? So the whole idea is to refute whatever information they gave. Clearly, other than them being with Imam in that space, we have uh, very little information to know exactly what they have or what they did to Imam. But what we do have, and this is the part that this new dossier that we are putting together is particularly important, is one, people at that time who were arrested and who were beaten and who were tortured and who survived, who could then relay similar information as to how the security police went about uh, torturing people. And this is also very well documented in uh, cases that was presented before the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Mm -hmm. But what is more damning and more alarming in all of this, that the very same a security policeman by the name of Speaker van Beek mm -hmm. had on several occasions threatened several other activists and saying, I was the one who killed your imam. Sure. And so he would rant on and say many things. And so now we have gathered, our lawyers are gathering those affidavits from former detainees and say, so what did Speaker say to you and say under oath to us what he actually said he did to imam? Yeah, so that that information is absolutely critical, and this is very consistent with the way in which these matters are handled. So the judge will then listen to and try and get a better understanding based on um, what other detainees say uh, security police would have done to them, but two also to say what Speaker himself said mm -hmm. uh, to them that he did to Imam, um, and so. All of this information, inshallah, when the inquest is reopened, mm -hmm. will then become uh, known to the public. But, uh, remember mm -hmm. back in the day, no no prisoner would dare even tell you what they did. Because right. that could obviously mean re-imprisonment mm -hmm. uh, um, and further victimization and further torture. And so now we are in an era, in a time where this information is particularly relevant and is going to be particularly useful to, for us to be able to understand what had actually happened in apartheid prisons. Because there continues to be this belief and this feeling amongst many people who probably supported the apartheid government back then too, they try and tell you, forget Imam Arun, that is all in the past. Mm -hmm. But we have a message to them. We will not forget him. And Ante Halima did not forget him. And the families and the people who were themselves tortured mm -hmm. will not forget what the apartheid government did to them. Um, and so if we for one moment can have the decency to be able to say, what if that was me? Would mm -hmm. I want the world to forget? Absolutely. And here was a person who upheld this very being that we are managing to speak over on a Muslim radio station today. Mm -hmm. right? That we must not so easily try and push things behind them in the past. Because whatever we have today was based on the sacrifices. Absolutely, absolutely. My radio station, your radio station, our radio station, 91.3 FM and 95.8 FM stereo. Born to serve. My eyes see
7 in the p.m. as we close down and we conclude to this particular series inshallah with Qasim Khan um, accurately giving us information with regards to uh, the late Imam Abdullah Harun his last days in detention in torture and uh, you know um, 123 days collectively well approximately 50 odd years ago five decades and we look forward to reinvesting time energy and resources into the reopening that inquest and ensuring that we gain closure and bring to task uh, those people who tortured our imam and uh, tortured the stalwarts of the activists of those days well um you know one of the things that um we can gather on inshallah how far have we come at this particular point in time with the qasim into uh, you know reinvesting that time and energy and resources into this inquest and uh, um what are the foreseeable uh, challenges that we can expect with this process Okay, so one of the things that we have done so far, as I've indicated, is that we have appointed a set of lawyers. We have made contact with the National Prosecuting Authority. Uh, Mohammed Arun had had a meeting alongside other families with the National Director of Public Prosecutions. Uh, we have had an interest directly from the Minister of Justice, as well as from his deputy, and even from the uh, Justice Portfolio Committee. So from every possible angle, wherever it is directly or indirectly involved, has been notified. Um, the dossier that is, uh, that is required to be put together in front of the National Director for Public Prosecution now only awaits that final report um, from a pathologist, a second look at everything, as well as from the trajectory specialist. Um, and then we are ready to present everything to the National Director of Public Prosecutions. She will then in turn look at it, look at the merits of the matter, present it to the Minister of Justice, and he will then ask the judge president um, to uh, appoint a judge and appoint a courtroom and appoint a date and for the matter to be re-looked at. And um, we are clearly of the view that uh, we have a good case, that we have enough information, that many things were overlooked back in uh, the 1970 inquest, and that uh, the best way forward... Mm-hmm. Now it's just for the National Director of Public Prosecutions um, to speedily bring this matter uh, um, to a close and bring it in front of a judge. Let's, let's be methodical about it, that they must bring it in front of a judge. Now what we expect from our uh, public and particularly the general public who is interested in not just this matter, but other matters, is that if there's going to be any delays, dilly-dallying, putting aside political interference, all the words that was used in the past for not lifting up this matter, be ready for you to be mobilized to add your voice that you are saying, we as the people who benefited from the suffering and sacrifice of Ashayid Imam Abdullah Harun, we are saying to the Director of Public Prosecutions, we want to make this matter come to the fore 
as soon as possible. And so we're going to ask the public to help us apply the pressure if she doesn't prioritize it. But we feel that given the, all the information provided already, the contact, that it will probably come to uh, her desk and, and to uh, some sort of attention to it, hopefully before the end of the year. Um, still hoping in this 50th year that this matter gets addressed. And so that's the way we, we are going. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are asking the public to remain vigilant, to remain with us mm-hmm. until we get that final hearing, inshallah. Inshallah. And I'm glad that uh, uh, probes are being made all round. Uh, is it perhaps a bit of um, uh, an enigma or uh, a foreseeable challenge that uh, maintaining the, 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 the chain of custody and evidence back then to now in terms of documentation, um, uh, is all of that being preserved? Is it held somewhere? Is it archived somewhere? Uh, how, how does one access uh, access those particular yeah, so evidence chains? The most, the most critical document was the original inquest document, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, uh, the lawyers had kept in, and, and we as a foundation as well as the family have a copy. So that's the most important part. Um, the the uh, one thing that we are hoping and that this matter will give, and we want really to push hard on this matter, whether it is in front of a judge or, or whether it is uh, um, before we actually get there, is we are actually asking that the police records of that time be made available as well because mm-hmm. that inquest did not show the police record. The police were involved, just came a major Hannes and speaker just came in front of a magistrate and gave their lives. They didn't give any evidence. They didn't produce any reports. And this is particularly important in knowing exactly where they were going with their investigation. So like we know probably from TV when we watch police series, people these policemen are trained to keep records. Mm-hmm. So they needed to write the reports as to what they asked him on day one, what was his reaction, who were the informants. So we want all of that. Mm-hmm. That is the difference. We just don't want a, a, a new judgment. We want all those police records to be revealed as well. And we have completed a, a public access to information, a PIA document, uh, asking for that information. Normally, these types of things uh, do not um, uh, appear. But what we are also asking, and we will make an appeal, and it has been made in other cases as well, where we are asking the children and grandchildren of Speaker van Beek and Hannes or whatever, look in your homes. Look in your ethics. Your fathers and these criminal uh, security policemen may have kept records with them which they didn't keep in the office. Mm-hmm. And it is a way for you to unburden yourself and your relationship with these killers and make that information in- available. And, and really, therein lies the detail of what may have been aspersions that have been cast on other people. So really, we will then know who were the spies in the mosque. We will know who were the spies who spied on Imam while he was on Hajj, because that was one of the things that was also clear from some of the information that he smuggled out, that people had spied on him and told him what he said at Mina. Can you believe it? Mm-hmm. They reported on what he said in the, the most sacred of our places. They brought it home and they prayed to that same Allah. Mm-hmm. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the witness to all of these things. Yeah. They went to the to the uh, to tell the enemy, and they killed an imam 
of our people. And this must weigh heavily on the conscience of these people. But their names will be revealed. And we are absolutely clear that, you know what, they plot and plan, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the best of planners. And most importantly, you know, the truth always prevails in the court of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Whether that truth is going to prevail and be made possible, huh? In our lifetime, or at some other point, but the truth will come out. But we are asking right now for that truth to be revealed, particularly through those police records. Inshallah. Puta Kasim Khan, it's been an absolute pleasure. Shukran to you for being part of our programs, our series on the late Imam Abdullah Harun. 123 days, the campaign I, to signify yeah. that, yes. I just have two quick things that I want to say firstly. Sure. For you and for uh, Voice of the Cape, particularly for this series. Mm. We are grateful to Voice of the Cape for all the other support that has been provided. Two, I would like to say uh, congratulations to the winners of the comp- of the um, complimentary tickets and we look forward to being with them Friday night. We are also encouraging people to buy more tickets. Please come and be with us so that you get a different and appreciation of who Imam Abdullah Harun was. And lastly, my humblest apology that I couldn't come to the studio because it was the seventh night of uh, Andi Halima. So we were just late um, for, for at uh, her place. Mm-hmm. Uh, please do forgive us. And please, once again, Jazakallah Khair for all your support. And I hope that uh, the series has given us greater inspiration as to the greats who, ha- who are in our times who have inspired our communities and their service and this is the most important part is that it is not just a service to Muslims but it is a service to humanity and this is why the people who are the artists in this cultural tribute who are not Muslim are so excited Mm-hmm. to be part of this venture and we want them to want you the public to come and be with us Inshallah. and actually appreciate what the other people are putting together uh, um, in their tribute to Imam Absolutely. Shukran to that to you, Buddha Kasim, and that's where we have to leave it. It's been an absolute pleasure myself getting insight into this program. From myself, Muhammad Sheikh Budrashad uh, Jacobs, at the helm of controls this evening, that's where we bid farewell, and that's where we make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant Imam Abdullah Harun the highest and loftiest stages of paradise, inshallah, grant Adi Halima the same as well. Do keep well, keep safe, keep steadfast on the infiyamanillah. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.